listening to the AntsMarching.org podcast, the new brand of AM radio. All right, gang, welcome back to the AntsMarching.org podcast. This is episode seven. We uh, we missed the episode last week due to some inebriation going on on part of the host of the show. We have a big announcement to make tonight. Uh, our other staff member, Joe Malaszewski, has joined us tonight all the way from OHIO. Joe, how's it going? Hey, how's it going, guys? That is the voice of the sexy Joe Mal, as all the ladies like to call him. Jake, how's it going? <laughs> it's going very well, thank you. <laughs> and that, that's Jake talking um, all the way from India, as, as you can hear from the sound quality on that. And not-so-sexy voice. Right, right. Jake has to round it out. By the arms of Vishnu, I do not know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> so um, in DMB land, we have uh, a little bit of news. Uh, the band played their final three shows of the year, their final one public show, and final two private shows at uh, West Point Academy. Jake, how were those shows? I, I think uh, the fans are pretty happy with them. Um, you know, the the Izod show was was pretty much what people expected, and then a, a lot of people got a chance to watch the uh, the two night stand over at West Point, and it seemed like the DMB put on a pretty good show. They were very, very appreciative to the crowd. Dave, especially night two, was just thanking the crowd profusely there. And then after the show, um, they did something that I, I can't recall them ever doing. And basically everyone in the entire band went down and shook hands with about the first two rows or so. And Carter seemed to give away about 300 drumsticks in the process. And so I think the, the crowd was pretty happy with that. And the shows were, were pretty good, I think, with a, a couple little surprises here and there, um, song choice-wise. And, and I think part of that also has to do with, you know, people, for some reason, the fans have this idea that if the band's going to play two shows or, you know, the final show, that, you know, they're going to break out a 19-minute Halloween and, you know, play some song they've never played before or play Matt's Head twice or something, and, you know, it's just not going to happen. You know, this, the band's got their songs. They're going to play them, and, you know, that's all there is to it. So everyone needs to calm down just a little bit with these last shows. But I think overall the shows are pretty good. Well, I know that you and I talked last episode about what to expect from these shows and, and what it would mean to the recording sessions uh, going into the winter. And I remember you saying that, uh, you know, look for the the presence or the absence of certain songs to be telling for what's going to show up on the album and to that point I think it's pretty significant that Shotgun and an idea of you both uh, seem to be in hibernation right now so what do you make of that yeah the the shotgun really surprises me to be honest with you I, I think that's a song that the fans really got a hold of and really liked a lot so that's a song I thought was gonna was gonna stick around you know, it really had some great lyrical changes through it. And if you've seen on the boards, a couple of people like certain versions. In fact, the, the one on the um, the bonus disc, that's one of the fan favorites as well, that they liked lyrically. So that kind of surprised me. I really thought that song was still going to be around. Idea of You, on the other hand, eh, it's just it's, listening to the shows, as, as, you know, we've talked about before, I, I literally listen to every single show which is obsessive-compulsive. That's not important right now. But, but the reaction of the fans to that song seems to be waning just a bit. And I think that that song's going the route of Hello Again in 2004 and 2005. Well, really, mainly 2004, where the song really just got played out, just got played to its bitter end. And it feels like that's what happened to Idea of You, to the point where, you know, nobody really cares anymore. 
when it's played. Well, do you see either one or both making the album still? I I would hope that Shotgun would make it. I, I just I have this ever so slight fear that the song's just never going to get polished to the point where the band wants it. So I just have that fear. I just you know gut reaction. But I, I would think that idea you could still make it. I mean that that song could be trimmed down to about three and a half four in and out, and that could be a single. So I think that's got potential to still be there. Um, I, I still think it needs some work lyrically, and Dave needs to figure out where the song is going to be because it started off something vastly different when everybody thought it was about some child molester too, where it, he kind of changed the subject to be about him talking about his babysitter. And uh, the, I think the early versions were a little bit better, and I think that's still got some work to do to the song. But uh, Shotgun's the one I think everybody's really pulling for to really get stream down and, and, and work out well. What do you think, Ola? What do you think about that, Jay? Uh, Joe? Do you think either one makes the album? You think they both do? I hope they both do, but uh, everything I seem to guess seems to be the opposite these days. <laughs> <laughs> well, I personally think Shotgun is a lock. Um, I think Dave realizes that he's got a monster on his hands with that song. Uh, the only question is, do they get a producer in there that's really going to put down a lot of tracks that's going to make that thing intricate like a dreaming tree? Or are they going to get somebody in there who's going to take three takes of the thing, slap it down, and that's it, and basically ruin the studio effort for that song? And I hope it's the former rather than the latter. You know, that's something I talked about in that award-winning article that all 1,100 of you read out there previewing this tour this year. You know, that's the song that when I think about that, for some reason this, what comes to my mind it's something like Tomorrow Never Knows by the Beatles, because that really intricate layering, and, and for DMB it would be like Dreaming Tree. That's a song, Shotgun, that, I mean, they could just go to town on. Just just layer after layer. Just It's an intricate song. So I think that, like you were saying, if they get the right guy in there and the guy knows what he's doing, this song is just going to be a masterpiece. I'm looking forward to it for sure. Uh Something else that happened on, uh, in that show, or those Pepperelli shows, was uh, a new song debuted, uh, Dave Solo style, Round and Round. Jake, have you heard it? Uh, yeah, I heard it um, whichever night they played. I can't remember which night they, uh, they performed it at the, um, the webcast. But yeah, it was a nice little song. Actually, um, if you go through the tour archive at Ants, if you go to our little search and you type in Round and Round, you'll see that Dave actually teased it. I think it was at Blossom this year. Uh, fans sent that to me to let me know about that and went back and, yeah, it's the same music and same everything. So, you know, it's something he's had in his mind for a while. He, he mentioned that it's, it's something he's been singing to his son um, at night, I guess, or whenever little babies sleep, and uh, to some success, although I don't know if it made everyone fall asleep at the concert, but that's really not the point of it. It's you know it's just about a minute and a half two minute thing and we'll see what happens with it you know some songs have started off small like that and blossomed you know I don't think anybody ever thought you know butterfly was going to become wounded and now I think butterfly is one of the fan favorites. Well, if it's uh, if it's not a fan favorite, it's certainly rare. Uh, I think did we get that at Charlottesville last year? Yes, we did. Yeah, yeah that was one of we the, did indeed. the few times he played it. One of my favorites. I, I, I like the song a lot. I, I think that's that's a great song. It's one of his better ones in the last uh, a couple of years or so, lyrically. How's that stand up against your favorite uh, Loving Wings? Oh, God. <laughs> you know, I, I don't want to rip on the song too much, but I will. Just because it's just a series of things that rhyme. And, and 
if you look at Dave Matthews' songs, there's certain he's a very colorful, literally, writer. You know, gray represents death, blue represents death, blue water baboon farm. But yet in Loving Wings, the cool blue water comes and refreshes. It's completely opposite of every other song he's done. It's just a bunch of things that rhyme together. And, you know, when they play it live, every time I listen to it, it sounds like there's people sitting around waiting six minutes to hear I Dream a Genie. You know, <laughs> once they hear that little dun, 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 then the crowd goes crazy. Everyone else is just chattering the whole way. So, you know, it's not in my top 100 songs, that's for sure. All right. Well, we have a, a few emails from some listeners. Uh, one of them being uh, Charlie Graziano sends in an email uh, asking a question about the warehouse bonus discs and the warehouse five and eight. Uh, they want he wants to know if we can shed any light as to how the particular songs are picked. Picked, uh, for example, what role does a band play? What role does a crew, management, the record label play, and what songs show up on these discs, and uh, and what versions are picked for release? Uh, Joe, do you have any thoughts on that? It's a, it's a, as least work as possible, probably. It's a, do we have any so, any shows or songs that we've already uh, mastered or done some work on? Okay, great. We can throw it on the CD then. Yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, but I think to, part of that also is they're looking on the boards to see what songs are mentioned a lot. So they have an idea of what people want to hear, and then they can go back and try to find particular versions. You know, sometimes I think they can find particular versions now by things that are that are mentioned but yeah i mean what it, what it probably comes down to for the most part is what do we already have laying around it's right. going to be nice and easy for a while there i mean the catalog that they have is is obviously vast they've played thousands of shows over 15 years but now i mean you're at a point even though live tracks is relatively young they're only in their 10th iteration how many of these you know want live tracks live releases before the live tracks and you know ones that have been released since they started putting those uh, series out, and how many bonus discs that you've put out with albums and live releases and DVD mixes and Warehouse 5s. I mean, you know, obviously there's still special stuff out there that hasn't been released, but to your guys' point, it, it definitely is probably up to whatever's laying around because, I mean, how many more unique things can you pull out because you've kind of spread out all kinds of tracks with these bonus discs? Yeah, yeah that's... It, I was going to say that's one of the complaints people had uh, previous years too. Was you know, how many different versions of Warehouse are they going to release? You know, the songs on every freaking release, for God's sakes. So now you're going to get to the point where fans are going to say, okay, now I want to hear something different and unique. But at the same time, you know, if they release another Angel or something, you know, people are going to be charging Charlottesville with their torches. <laughs> Do you guys have a uh, favorite bonus disc, Warehouse, or uh, not just a pre-order? I have one in mind that I, I think is uh, probably one of the harder ones to top, and that, that's the, uh, the it might be cheating, but the bonus disc for uh, Stand Up, getting all the B-sides and the uh, and the piano song and, and such. I thought that that uh, was, not, it was a, probably one of the, my favorite ones. Well, I remember uh, watching the DVD that came with that, the making of Stand Up, and it's it's not really a you know part of a track, but my favorite part of that was when they were playing, they were showing the recording of Hunger for the Great Light, and right at the end on the CD when they they speed it up a little bit and they they really rack it out hard, you know that's cool on the CD, but on that DVD, the way they play the end, the, the final that 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 part. They almost put a real big band touch to it. You can hear the horns going on, and it's real jazzy. And uh, I kind of wish that had made the album cut rather than the the final thing that did. But uh, you guys remember that one? 
Yeah, that was that's one of their better discs. I like those. I like that B-side, and I like hearing the early versions of the song, too. They had that um, a number of years ago. I can't remember the name of it right now, but they did that for Before the Beast Crowded Streets, and that's where we all got a, a look at Mackhead written on there for the first time. Kind of like the early versions of it and kind of different takes and cuts. I'm a big fan of that. I, I, I think that would have uh, helped out Hunger for the Great Light a lot, too. For obvious reasons. Still, still one of my favorite uh, stand-up songs to hear live. I mean, if even if you're sick of it, it's short, it's over quick. It is still one of the funniest things I've ever seen to watch Butch and Carter uh, run uh, run the backup vocals on that with in in the uh, bridge, and uh, the end of that. You don't see much more energy out of the band at any point during any live show. It's it's definitely a, a good live song. Uh, I still I still wish it had a little more. I don't know. I wish it had a little more guitar or a little more, you know, that, that the keyboard feel to it to me sounds like an 80s heavy metal song to it. You know, I just kind of wish it was more raw, more, you know, that's just me, though. I don't, I don't know. For as far as bonus discs go, I kind of like the one with uh, the, I think it was the best of what's around, the, the um, you know, the best of album. They had a little bonus disc with that, and that's the one that had that 32 minute 41 on it. I was at that had, show. Uh, yeah, oh God. Fourth row, what, fourth row center. Wow, that's a great show. But it had minarets on there, and uh, even had a nice version of uh, What You Are, which I'm not a, a huge fan of. But I, th- I like that bonus disc a lot. That that was one of the um, harder-edged ones. What I Am I like is that. heading to the parking lot to beat the traffic. Exactly. <laughs> that that was, what what year was that really closing shows? It was like 02 or 03, it was closing oh. a ton of shows. Oh, two. I was sitting yeah. right there in Tampa next to uh, the great Scuba Jeremy from the site. And yeah. The second I started playing that, I said, okay, I'm out the yeah, door. That, I mean, for about the first 20 shows that I saw from the band, it was like gospel. You don't, you don't sit down, and you don't leave early, no matter what. And I think that one went out the window during the MCI Center show to close the 2002 tour. Uh, when my cousin and I drove down after the MSG show with James Brown saying they got to pull something out for this show, and they completely laid an egg, and I had never been so angry to hear two-step in my life, and we just got the hell out of there. We ran out of the venue. We got to our car, and we turned around, and the bus was already leaving. So if there was anybody who wanted out of there faster than we did, it was the band. <laughs> sure, they, you know, the people in New York get James Brown, they get Halloween on the same freaking show, and then they, they go back to D.C. to end it all, you know, 90 miles from where they started, and just nothing. Yeah, well... <laughs> I, I still it still haunts me. We uh, we have another email from Chris Byrne. Um, why this one's for you, Joe? I think you can talk to this pretty well. Why hasn't DMB gone the route of Fish, the Disco Biscuits, Humphreys uh, uh, McGee, the Allman Brothers, and other bands known for playing a unique show every night and started selling the soundboard mix online for each and every show? Well, you know, uh, DMB back when they started the the live track series, you know they they went out and kind of consulted with all those bands and kind of. Looked at looked to them for advice and uh, what nugs.net or whatever it is uh, they they brought them in and helped them start the live tracks and you know they had this big thought of uh, of all the downloads and I don't know how well the downloads are going now for live tracks I, I think maybe even the the just purchasing the CDs at least based on uh, the the email send out they seem to be more focused on uh, sending out a bonus disc and whatnot with the CD as opposed to marketing the uh, downloads so much so. I think the the way that the the fan, the fans have kind of directed it is almost gone to this uh, more selective release with bonus discs as opposed to uh, of having uh, each show released. Well, I think too. Um 
the band realizes that since every show is taped, you're getting a pretty good quality recording of every show already out there. Whereas if they were to, to go ahead and release every single show soundboard, you know, anyone who's into the band and, and live recordings knows that a flat soundboard mix, you know, just front of the board is pretty terrible. I mean, it's not terrible, but you're, you'd probably rather hear something out of the air. Um, at least I would. Jake, what do you think? I, I got to agree with you. I, I think that part of the reason is that the taping community for DMB is, is far and away the, the best taping community that's out there. The quality of the recordings is just ridiculous. I mean, there's some that are that are absolutely fantastic that can fool someone into thinking it's a soundboard. So I think that has a lot to do with it. And also, I think that if they just took a show and just had it available the next day, I think you're kind of diluting the live performance a little bit. I mean, you know, that might make the difference between somebody saying, eh, do I want to drop 70 bucks and go see a show? Or, you know, I just buy the thing the next day for 10 bucks. You know, who cares? I'm going to be out in the lawn anyway. That could have an effect on it. So I, I think, in the, you know, when it comes to the bottom line, you're better off not doing that. They're better off doing things the way they're doing it now with select shows, releasing them live with the bonus tracks. I, I just think financially it makes more sense. And I think by going the live tracks route, you're you are going the more special route. If you released every single show, uh, soundboard mix, you're basically just you know nothing stands out for the most part. And, and by kind of packaging it together into a live tracks, you're saying, hey, this is cool for this reason, this reason, and this reason. That's why you should buy it. And you know, fill in the gaps with auto audience recordings for the other shows if you want. And you know, down the line, we might end up you know rolling some of those shows out too officially. I mean, look at the Pearl Jam stuff. Pearl Jam put out every show, I think, known to man, but is there anything that, you know, stands out? Does anybody go, oh, my God, this is the one you need to know? Well, you know, not really. I mean, I know we're not a Pearl Jam site, but, you know, for the most part, that's that's what happens when you do that. Just They're all out there. Just go ahead and knock yourself out and grab one. Well, uh, some other news that's been going on uh, might have flown under the radar, but it looks like ATO, which is the band, uh, the label that Dave Matthews and Corin Capshaw started, um, is has obtained the domestic rights to distribute Radiohead's uh, next album titled "In Rainbows." Joe, do you know anything about this? Yep, uh, that's the word on the street. Uh, it as of right now, it just sounds like it's just going to be releasing in rainbows and no big term long term kind of plans as of right now have been announced so as of right now in rainbows in stores uh, january 2nd is, is what what the date is for right now you can you can get it online right now uh, digitally that was back in uh, i think october beginning of october october 10th or something like that you can pick your price and download it so if you feel like doing that go for it but yeah in stores ato got the got this new kind of contract uh, to to license the uh, license the music uh, from Radiohead uh, and release it uh, in January second. Which really strikes me as odd is that ATO, as far as I know, or at least how it used to be, they're not pressing their own discs. They turn around to Sony BMG and say, "Hey, kick us out ten thousand copies of this CD." So the fact that Radiohead would go with ATO to print out their CDs, who's going to turn around to Sony BMG and say, "Print out these CDs." I, I don't under, obviously I don't understand the music industry the business wise. Um, sometimes people would think that the executives don't even understand it nowadays. But yeah. uh, this definitely strikes me as an odd uh, pairing, given the fact that ATO is an indie label. And let's not kid ourselves. I mean, Radiohead. While I'm super happy to see what they're doing with giving their music away first, just to see how it goes. You know, pay what you want. 
if they were a nobody before and they tried to do this, they wouldn't have had the kind of exposure that they do now because they've already been a commercial success. But it does kind of lean in the direction that, you know, this is how music's going to be spread in the future, uh, whether the record companies like it or not. And uh, it's cool to see them pairing up with ATO and kind of spreading that vibe in, in the Americas. Um, and, hey, the fact that they're tying up with, uh, so, you know, Dave... No. People are talking about collaborations. I don't think this talks to that or this lends any credence to that kind of rumor. But then again, you never know. I mean, they could build a friendship. They could they could end up collaborating. Who knows? Uh, all right, let's see. Joe, you mentioned something about uh, the ABC College football as you watch your Buckeyes lose. Uh, what else did you notice? <laughs> <laughs> uh, go Buckeyes, by the way. Uh, no, uh, it seems like for the past year now, um, we got somebody, there's somebody inside that, does all that, some of the production on the ABC sh- ABC uh, games that uh, has a love for uh, Dave Matthews Band and for Robert Randolph and for all the all the similar bands. Uh, seems like going to commercials, uh, you get to hear a little bit of a little bit of your favorites every time. And so somebody out there's a fan, and uh, I, I wonder who it is. That's I don't know. Well, Jake, you used to work for uh, Worldwide Sports Network that will re- remain nameless. Um, what yes, can you a, say a about nameless this? company in, in Bristol, Connecticut, yes. Um, <laughs> well, usually in a live performance like that, whoever's making the what would be um, bump music going to commercial breaks is probably rolling that from the truck at the locations. That would be like a technical director or somebody along the lines of that. So somebody probably sitting in the truck doing the live feed has access to whatever music they want to play. So they're a big fan of DMB. They know that the, the kids are digging this band, so they might as well just play it on the way out. And that's probably what it is, like like Joe was saying. It's probably someone that's just a big fan of the band and, and all their um, the music similar to that, and they've just been playing it. So it's just nice. It's, it's kind of funny every time you hear the song, you know, you could click on the website about two minutes later and somebody's made another thread. <laughs> oh, my God, they just played two-step. Oh, my God. Well, uh, it's, so it's like a uh, radio DJ, kind of the same kind of freedom that they uh, enjoy when they play radio tracks. Basically, they can put anything they want on the air as long as it's not offensive. Yeah, for the most part, that is. You know, obviously, there's going to be some limitations to songs here and there. But, yeah, for the most part, as long as it's, you know, catchy and got some music underneath, they can play pretty much whatever they want. You know what? You know what? This reminds me of, and uh, this is a vague memory. Was uh, reading some article or something or an interview where um, Carter um, was at a uh, hockey game or some some kind of sporting event, and they started playing one of uh, Dave Matthews Band's songs, and that's when you kind of knew, you know, they were big time. Like he heard it at a, a sporting event that they were at. I think I do remember that story. I I can't quite place it either, but I know what you're talking about. And that was a cool story. It's got to be a good feeling for them gotta be weird you know sitting at a you know a hockey game and all, all of a sudden <laughs> you hear one of your own songs like are they just playing two-step that's Be- kind of weird before you've hit it big too yeah, yeah. exactly the only only thing uh, probably more surprising than that is if you're at karaoke oh that too <laughs> <laughs> i think you've got a leg up on on the rest of the crowd if you can go up there and sing to your own song though <laughs> <laughs> uh when, when Jake and I started doing these podcasts back in late September, uh, we had hoped to have Joe join us uh, on a more regular basis, but he had just uh, split town and flew overseas to Europe on a little trip, and uh, I honestly thought that Joe was dead because he said, listen, if I, you know, I'm supposed to be back in two weeks. If I'm not back in three weeks, then start to worry. So 
that clock was at about two and a half weeks, <laughs> leaning towards three weeks. And I, and I, Jake, you can vouch for this. I called you up and I said, you know, dude, I think they're making Hostel Three with Joe right now. <laughs> I, I totally thought we were about this. to do the we were going to do the worldwide call to all the European ants out there. If you see Joe M, please let us know. Well, I, well, I was, you know, go ahead, what's really funny about that is uh, sending out the message is uh, I was. Uh, uh, obviously, backpacking through Europe and uh, one of the cities I was in uh, Venice or outside of Venice. And a uh, little shout out to another website out there, uh, couchsurfing.com. If you haven't heard of it, check it out. Uh, it's pretty much what we did is uh, surf people's couches, uh, found places to crash while we we're in Europe. And uh, we ended up getting going to a get together with a whole bunch of these people, a whole bunch of couch surfers uh, uh, outside of Venice in a little city called uh, Treviso, I, th- I believe. And um, Strangest thing is, uh, I met a guy there named Max and uh, found out he was really big into Dave Matthews Band and we're kind of talking about it and some of his involvement, you know, how he got into them and, and such like that. I went to go buy some drinks, came back out and, and he asked me, uh, have you ever heard of the, the website antsmarching.org? And I'm like, oh, well, here I go. Here I, know. I don't typically announce this or even tell anybody. And, uh, and I'm like, well, this might be seen weird, but yeah, I'm one of the kind of guys that helps uh, run the site. And. He was just floored, and I'm looking at my buddy, and I'm like, "You told him, you told him that this, didn't you?" And he's like, "What? Told him what?" And he's like, "No, I didn't tell him anything." So I was, we, me, he was more surprised to see me, and I was kind of crazy that I, to run into an antsmarching.org uh, uh, guy out there. So Max, if you're listening, what's up? Uh, hope to get you over here into the U.S. and come uh, surf on my couch and get you to the first uh, Dave show. Joe, what's your feeling on? Um I mean, other than Max, obviously, the awareness of the band out there. Well, I, we ran in, I ran into some people that uh, were very familiar and, and uh, listening uh, to them, uh, but then again, ran into people that uh, were not aware of it. So it, it, it's not as not very widespread. It's more of like uh, the people that are very much into music and, and expanding their horizons are, are definitely the ones that are, are listening to Dave Matthews Band out there. Do you think the internet begets the desire to have the band play out there, or do you think the band playing out there occasionally begets the buzz on the internet from overseas for the band? I don't know. That's a toss-up, maybe. I don't know. What do you guys think? I think, personally, that... Uh, the I mean, it's all the internet now. I. Yeah, definitely. Everything's kind of been spreading on the internet, and uh, how, how many new fans internationally have been coming to the site has, has grown like crazy. We now have threads dedicated to areas and countries where you know people are, are spreading the music and, and enjoying it together. So I think the internet has been playing probably one of the biggest roles right now is in, in getting their music out there overseas. At least for, for Max, if, if it weren't for, for the internet, he, he, would, he would be lost as far as have heard of, have heard of Dave Matthews Band. You know, you're exactly right there, Joe, because if you look just on people that are posting on our site often, I mean, you know, there's people from Australia that post all the time, Poland, Scotland, you know, numerous people from England, France. So the 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 crowd is just growing exponentially just from Europe, just as regular users that are just following the band on, on our site. So, I mean, that tells you a lot of, of what's going on, how they're spreading. And, and little things like that just help, you know, get more concerts out there, more concerts out in, in Europe and such. Well, I just, you know, it's been nearly two months since Joe's uh, made it back, and uh, we've been able to talk. And, you know, Joe's been busy out of town on work, 
the past weeks, because that's why we haven't been able to get him on the podcast. But I've been dying for him to tell that story about the Italy trip, because I just thought that blew me away when he told me that on the phone. That was a real cool story. So, Joe, that's awesome, man. You're going to have to keep us up to date if you're hosting any more couch surfing parties. Yeah, any any uh, you international people out there, if you want to come to uh, any of the Ohio shows, you got a couch to come crash on and, and go to them with. Uh, we got one more bit of news. Uh, Jake, you were saying something about uh, Dave talking about another solo album. Yeah, this came up at a, um, I guess it was a little breakfast he had sponsored by uh, Rolling Stone magazine. And and during that, among the other things that Dave talked about was he, he basically did confirm that he is going to do another solo album. He's con- contractually obligated to do one, so he, he has to. He doesn't really have much say in the matter. But that kind of clears that up, that he's definitely going to do one. And you know now the, the big question is, okay, what's going to be on it? You know, is it going to be Dave and Friends? Is it just going to be Dave stuff? Is it going to be Dave and Tim? You know, Cornbread is obviously a, a full band song now, so that takes that out of the running for that. You know, Butter- he, right? What's that? I mean, he is another candidate, especially yeah, that's right. Release. I, yeah, that's another one that that's 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 clearly a, a full band DMB song now, not a, not a Dave and Friends song now. Even Sweet Up and Down, which you would have thought would be a Dave and Friends song. They brought that back that song back for them. Well, I, personally, I think that the DMB version is better than the Dave and Friends version of it. So, you know, it's you know, what's he going to do? I guess he's going to go back and write some more songs. Should be interesting. Apparently, he's got a lot. I mean, he keeps, you know, round and round sneaks in there in the Blossom shows and then comes out full-time in in these shows. And that's all we ever hear is that, oh, they're writing tons of material, writing tons of material. Well, it can't all be lies. I'm sure there's a, he's got quite of a, a pile of material out there. So, you know, I, I tell you, I'm, Some Devil might be my favorite Dave Matthews album since before these Crowded Streets. I, I love that disc. Yeah, I, I do too. And, and I think that's the part of it that I don't like is, you know, I, I really wish that that was a DMB album. I, you know, I, I know that he said some songs wouldn't work. Some songs would, and you know, I know that Cigarette Lit, which was a reworking of Hold Me Down, was specifically cut from that because Dave said that he thought it was a DMB song, not a Dave and Friends song. Where is it? Let's hear it. That's <laughs> my question, too, and I was always a big fan of Hold Me Down. That's actually from my favorite uh, Dave and Tim show, which is the 2-1996 show, if you're scoring at home. Well, it's funny uh, how these songs make, make the light of day because... Uh, I remember when Dave was out, was it around time of every day that he was out there in Europe playing some solo shows in England? And he did, uh, uh, what do you call it? He called it a pregnant pause, and then he played a little bit of Cigarette Lit, which at the time no one knew what the hell it was, and comes out when the, when the song comes around, turns out that was it. Yeah, it's, there's been a lot of little things like that. You know, Raven was from 1995, was from a show in Cincinnati. It was played as a intro into Typical Situation when he was ending a lot of shows with Typical Situation solo. And that's actually where Little Thing came from, too. Little Thing was an intro into Typical. So there's some songs, it kind of shows the way his mind works a little bit. That You know, there's songs that are in there from long ago that all of a sudden pop up many years later, you know? There's that, there's that little piece of music from a couple years ago. What do the people call it? Uh, that really haunting one. Yeah, someone will email it or something. But, you know, that's one of those songs that people keep thinking, oh, you know, there's some piece of music that maybe they're going to bring back. Well, you never know. Maybe three, four years from now you'll hear that piece of music again. 
Well, um, unless you guys have anything else to add band-wise, I think we're, that's pretty much all for the uh, show. Joe, uh, we're super glad to have you join us, and we hope that we can uh, make this a regular thing. I think, I, I think the fan mail, that's what you heard there with that little ding. The fan mail's already pouring in saying, we want more Joe M. Oh, <laughs> yeah, right. Not? Yeah, I bet. <laughs> exactly. Hey, well, sorry, might... I ha- sorry I haven't been able to join you guys, and everybody else out there that's been emailing and whatnot, I got, you, I got your emails coming, and uh, Setless Game Winners, I haven't forgot about you guys. Uh, anybody out there uh, wants to do offset your, your tour from this past year, I'll be set putting that details up also, so uh, you'll, you'll see more from me, don't worry. And T-shirts and stickers, I've gotten behind. There are a few orders that have been out uh, there for a number of weeks. I'm really sorry about that. You guys aren't going to be sorry that you waited. Um, I'll make it worth your while. I'm, I'm really sorry about that. Those are going out tomorrow, though. Um, don't forget, there still have some shirts left and still have some uh, Windows Static Link stickers left. They're, they're two bucks. You can't go wrong. So that's cool. The Jets, they won today. They beat the Pittsburgh Steelers. Take that, Steel Town. They beat the loudmouth, obnoxious fans. I don't care if you're a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. You know what I'm talking about. You know I'm right. And Phil Simms is the most jealous MFer out there. He hates the Jets. Jake, Jake, am I wrong? I, I, I don't think he's a big fan of the Jets. I, I, I you know, hates a, a very hurtful word, really. <laughs> well, all I know is I, he, was, he was talking about Hines Ward's skill as a blocker, receiver, receiving blocker, as their instant replay showed him with a fistful of face mask. N- no comment about that, of course. He's, he must be blind. And... <laughs> And one more thing, I don't want to make this a sports show, but my Siena Saints topped number 20 Stanford yesterday, okay? First time they've beaten a ranked team in 18 years, and that's after they lost to Syracuse by eight earlier in the week with Eric Devendorf with his feet stapled behind the three-point line and just chucking threes out of his out of his ass. So I'm very happy for once my sports, I mean, let's forget the Knicks for now. For once my sports teams are performing well, so I'm pretty happy about that. Round of applause, thank you very much. Good job at a tiny little Sienna. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, Saints are picked to win their division this year, so keep an eye on the Sienna Saints Metro Athletic or Atlantic Athletic Conference, the MAC. So look out. Hey, Matt, if you guys get to the championship game, you can actually have a crowd there. You're going to have another flu epidemic and have everybody not be allowed inside. <laughs> I do remember that. That was, I think that was when they were the Sienna Indians, believe it or not. It was prior to my tenure there. But uh, all right, guys, hey. Thanks for joining us and all the listeners out there. Thanks for listening to Episode 7 of the Ants Marching Network podcast. Uh, Join us next week. Take care.